Welcome everybody. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of The Rebound. I'm your host, Eli Cooper, and I'm here with my co-host, James Jordan. How you doing today, James? I'm doing all right, man. I'm happy it's the weekend, man. Tired of work. Ready to talk some basketball. Feel you I feel you 100%, except I actually have to go back to work tomorrow, which sucks. So, <laughs> But yeah, man, a pretty quiet week for the NBA, but not a quiet week uh, for the NCAA, which kicked off on Tuesday night. Um, so we have quite a bit to talk about with you guys today, and let's get into it. So we're going to kick it off talking about uh, the NCAA. Tuesday night, we had some big games. Uh, starting with the State Farm Champions Classic, which was held in Madison Square Garden. And the top four preseason ranked teams in the country were going at it. Uh, Duke took on Kansas in the early game. And then Kentucky played Michigan State uh, in the late game. We talked about this in our last episode. We previewed it. Uh, me and James both picked Kansas and Michigan State to win those two games. And boy, were we wrong. We went with the experience, but the freshmen... Uh, really stood out and took control of this game. James, let's start with the Duke and Kansas game. Who stood out to you? Um, and what were some of your key points from the game? Um, I just want to start off by saying, I mean, this was just an amazing start to college basketball. Yeah. Although I was wrong with my picks, it was still a show. Um, it looks like Kansas Drift is in the guards with Abaji, um, Dawson, and Garrett. Um, mm-hmm. With the strong efforts in their first matchup. Um I mean, it was still a relatively good matchup. Um, I saw some defense. I mean, Kansas, it looks like um, they pretty much just, you know, they they was just taking any shot. I mean, they was throwing up anything. I mean, it's the beginning of the season. But um, at the end of the day, they beat Duke. Um, so hats off to them. Uh, one thing that I am concerned with is um, Kansas almost doubling um, Duke in turnovers with a whopping 28 versus their 16. Yeah. Now, quick question for you. Are you concerned that Kansas only shot nine from the arc, or do you think they just um, decided to take better looks closer to the basket? Um. Yeah, I think they were definitely trying to get it inside because they had a clear size advantage with Azubuki um, and uh, McCormick uh, down low. But... Um, you know, kind of where that came back to bite them was in turnovers. Uh, Azubuki and and McCormick both really struggled turning the ball over uh, early on in the game, and that kind of set a bad precedent for the rest of the team. 28 turnovers, and they had 18 at the half, and they were only down by, I think, uh, three or six points, something like that, at the half. And, you know, if uh, obviously they they only end up losing the game by two, you know, if you cut those turnovers in half, you know what I mean, or even really cut them down to 20, which is still pretty bad, but better than what they were at, they they probably win that game by double digits. Um, so I think they had the right game plan. They just didn't execute it well enough um, to come out with a win. I agree with you. I think Devin Dotson uh, was excellent. He was a bright spot for them. Struggled with turnovers, um, you know, and, and probably I think he needed to do a little bit better of distributing the basketball, but uh, he was really the only guy who was consistent, uh, consistent scoring option for them, uh, especially down the stretch. So Kansas, even though they lost, I think that's a game they can look at and be like, all right, well, you know, we cleaned some things up and that's probably a win for us. So it's, it's certainly not a game for them to panic about, um, but, you know, definitely some things for them to clean up. 
Yeah, and, and then, you know, from Duke's perspective, I was really impressed by uh, Matthew Hurt. Um, he, he was a little bit inconsistent, 4 for 12 from the field, and only finished with 11. But I thought he was the most aggressive of all of the Duke players offensively, um, you know, as far as looking for his own shot from the perimeter. I think that kid has some, has some talent, man. I think he can really play. Uh, excellent stretch four uh, kind of guy and I, who has NBA potential, in my opinion. Um, so I was impressed by him. I thought we would see more out of Vernon Carey, um, but he struggled and was pretty quiet. Maybe because of his size really, you know, bothered him. Um, and I also was a little bit disappointed in Wendell Moore Jr. Only playing 12 minutes. He was another one of the high recruits that they had. He went one for six, two points uh, from the field. So, you know, we, we will probably see a little bit more from him going forward. Um, and Duke's bench will need to be more productive. Uh, if they want to win these kind of big games going forward. I'm concerned about them offensively, but defensively, they are pretty stout. Uh, again, Trey Jones is an irritant on the defensive end, uh, and and they clearly they were able to force a lot of turnovers, so their defense is not an issue. Um, but will they be able to score enough to be one of the best teams in the country is going to be the big question for them. Now, let's move on to the late game, uh, which featured Michigan State, the number one ranked team in the country, going into uh, going into Tuesday night, taking on the uh, Kentucky Wildcats, who were ranked number two. Michigan State was coming back with a ton of experience, pro- arguably the best player in the country in Cassius Winston. Uh, and Kentucky really was relying on freshmen like they have in previous years. Um, and... Tyrese Maxey off the bench for the Kentucky Wildcats was a stud. Uh, even though he came off the bench, he still actually ended up leading the team in minutes, played 32 minutes, and and had 26 points, uh, including three threes. Again, the freshman and the younger team with less experience came out on top, James. How impressed were you by the Kentucky Wildcats? Um, I mean, with Kentucky... Um... As you know, in the beginning, um, I picked Tyrese Maxey as one of um, one of the best players to come out in the season. There's a lot of basketball left, and we'll see what he's going to do. Um, I felt like it was um, – I was not expecting for Tyrese Maxey to show up the way he did. Mm-hmm. Like you said, coming off the bench scoring 20-plus, um, um, that's a big plus for Kentucky because we both know um, that they rely on their freshmen. Um, now, with – Kentucky, they shot better. Um, I mean, around the same field goal percentage, shot better from the three and free throw. Um, what really impressed me is their ability to protect the ball with the freshmen that they had on the floor. And they also was able to dictate what kind of look they were going to get. And they shot some pretty good shots. Um, so their shot selection and protecting the ball is, is a good key to success. Um, so hopefully um, that is one thing that will remain consistent with Kentucky down the season. Um, and then honestly, um, besides Kentucky, speaking about them, I was a little d- disappointed with Michigan State. I mean, we both thought that Cassius was just going to be, well, he still balled out, uh, but we thought he'll be able to roll away with a W. But unfortunately, that just wasn't the case. Um, he still looked good in his debut. Um, I just feel like uh, Michigan, they just um, – a little bit more chemistry. I feel like these two teams will definitely um, make some noise down down the road. Um, and then Cash 
just with his I with his IQ, I think that uh, they will still have success. Um, this is not going to be a determinative factor on their outcome of the season. So it's a lot of ball left. Um, but this was a disappointment for me, especially since I picked them. So, what about yourself? Uh, what do you think about this game? Agreed. From Kentucky's standpoint, uh, I, I was really impressed by them defensively. You hold a team with the experience and talent like Michigan State to 39% shooting from the field and only 19% from three, um, and, and 62 points is, is pretty low. Uh, the only player in double figures for Michigan State was Cassius Winston. So... You know, that's a pretty shocking factor there. I was uh, I, So I was really impressed by Kentucky defensively. Tyrese Maxey did look great, uh, was very impressive, you know, and, and carried them and hit big shots down the stretch uh, for that Kentucky team. And, you know, this is kind of, you know, Calipari's blueprint is getting young, one-and-done, uh, high-quality players coming in, um, you know, to contribute for them early. And, you know, as great as he was, I still have concerns about Kentucky offensively um, as he was really the only one with more than 15 points. They did get Higgins and Emmanuel quickly uh, to chip in with 11 and 10, which was just enough to get him over the hump. But, you know, pretty low scoring game and pretty sloppy game. They themselves only shot 38 percent from the field. And this is kind of what you expect, though, uh, at both games uh, in the State Farms. Uh, Champions Classic were low scoring, bad field goal percentages. So like two elite teams going at it this early in the season before they really had time to work out, you know, the kinks of their offenses and things like that tend to tend to, you know, show some sloppy games. And we don't really get a true gauge on how good either team is uh, until, you know, maybe they meet later in the season uh, in the tournament or something like that. So we'll see how both of these teams turn out. They obviously... You know, can, it's better to get the win in these kind of games um, if you're if you're the Wildcats. Uh, but both teams definitely have a lot of work to do uh, to improve and get to you know their full stride. So uh, now we've talked about Maxi. We talked about some of the Duke studs uh, f- as far as freshmen go. We got to talk about some other freshmen standouts, uh, including Cole Anthony, who in his first game against Notre Dame. For North Carolina had 34, 11, and 5, uh, leading them to a victory. And then uh, last night they actually played again, and he had a very impressive performance. So he's off to a great start. Um, what are your thoughts about Cole Anthony and uh, his uh, his breakout night uh, on Wednesday? Now, with Cole Anthony, uh, one thing that I'm just extremely pleased with is the fact that he's just a playmaker wherever you space him out on the floor. Um, I mean, we we knew that we was going to get some scoring from him, um, but the fact that he could dish the ball, even grab 11 boards, that was really impressive uh, for me. Um, So he's showing that he's athletic. He can get it done on all um, phases of basketball. Um, Now, I can't wait to see what he can do with um, some competition. I mean, he, he played the Wilmington Seahawks and UNC. Um, he dropped another 20-piece. Um, but um, just in all phases, um, just shooting from the floor, the three, the free throw, the mid-range, um, even um, a little floater game here and there, mm-hmm. um, I'm just extremely but impressed with all phases of his game right now. Um, so I can't wait to see what he can do throughout the season. 
Yeah, the kid can flat out play, um, and and I we talked about him in the preseason uh, beforehand. He was voted ACC um, preseason no, freshman right. of the year. Yeah, yeah, he was he was my pick. I agreed, uh, but the the voters picked him as the rookie of the year for the ACC in the preseason, and he has he has proven them right so far. Um, but the what like you said, he was his rebounding is what impresses me the most. First two games. He has eleven boards and ten rebound and and ten rebounds in the second, so you know two double doubles back to back to start and they're from rebounds, not even assists. Um, and I think he's actually an excellent playmaker. Five assists in the first game, only three in the second, but um, he's he's an excellent playmaker. What's been the most shocking to me though is um, his willingness to shoot and how well he shot it from the three so far. Shot eleven threes in both games. Uh, and has hit 10 so far, so almost hitting 50% of his threes to start. And that was kind of the the question mark about him was how good of a shooter is he um, and things like that. But he's showing that he can score at all three levels. He's aggressive, uh, 24 shots in the first game. And let me pull it here. He took another 24 in the second. So he's been aggressive. He's looking to score at all three levels. He crashes the boards. He's going to defend. He's a freak athlete. Um, you know, I think between him, uh, LaMelo Ball, uh, who's playing in Australia, RJ Hampton, also playing in Australia, Tyrese Maxey, um, you know, when the draft comes, it's going to be guard heavy. And these GMs are going to have a tough, tough time choosing bef- between these four guards because they all can flat out play. Um, so it's going to be exciting to see, you know, the draft processes for them and, and see how high Cole Anthony's stock rises throughout the year. Um, so, yeah, definitely impressed by him. And I think the Tar Heels um, are really going to be carried by him, um, you know, because from looking at their first few games, they're not getting a ton of scoring. They haven't had someone step up as a, you know, consistent second scorer just yet. Um, so we'll see who develops into that role for them because that's going to be crucial for them to accomplish, you know, some of the goals that they have set for this year. Now, we also got to get into uh, the number one recruit in the country, James Wiseman, uh, who the seven-footer from Memphis made his debut Tuesday night as well. Uh, while the State Farm Classic was going on and had an excellent debut against South Carolina State, uh, was, you know, flat-out monster with 28 points, 11 rebounds uh, as as Memphis cruised to a win. Uh, And then last night, they're getting ready for their second game, and the NCAA rules him ineligible. And the story behind this is kind of crazy, but... Um, he goes to court an hour before the game or, or however long before the game tips off, gets a restraining order on it or, or whatever. Uh, yeah, restraining order to play, goes out, plays again, and has 17-9 and nine in another Memphis win. And it's, uh, it's going to be interesting how this plays out going forward. For, to give you guys some context... Basically, the NCAA is ruling him ineligible because in 2008, which was 11 years ago, by the way, and this kid would have been seven years old at the time, Penny Hardaway, who is a staple in the Memphis community, a former Memphis Tiger himself, um, but but more importantly, he's very big in giving back and helping that community. 
He, in 2008, helped James Wiseman's family move to Memphis when he was just seven years old. And the NCAA considers him a, at that time, considered him a booster and now is ruling James Wiseman ineligible. By far, one of the strangest things I've ever heard in my life. So let's, before we get into his ineligibility, what are your thoughts on James Wiseman, the player? The player, I mean, um, we just knew what we was going to get out of the Memphis Tigers. I mean, James Wiseman was just going to lead them um, throughout the season. Um, I mean, he he hasn't. I mean, it's not much to go off of yet, but I see him as a complete player. Um, I mean, hopefully, I mean, he'll get to play throughout the season. Um, I mean, from what I saw, I like the way he shoots the ball, the way he tags the basket. Um, he has some length. Um, I mean, he can pretty, like you said with Cole Anthony, he can pretty much get it done on all three phases. I mean, we had a small sample size of what he can do. Yeah. Uh, so hopefully down the season we can see what he's actually made of. Um, and then what do you think before we get into the legal issue? Yeah, I mean, as far as his you know debut, he's as, he's as good as advertised. And obviously they haven't quite played any tough competition. They won both games by a large margin. And they they really won't see a ton of competition because of the conference that they're in. Um, but he's a seven-footer, you know, who can score inside the paint. Uh, defensively, he's a rim protector. He's averaging four blocks in his first two games. He rebounds the ball well, very athletic, uh, can run the floor. Not a guy who's really a stretch kind of center who's going to step out and knock down the three. But good touch around the rim, excellent finisher. You know, pretty much your your prototypical center uh, in today's NBA. So, you know, the kid can flat out play. And I was actually really excited, um, you know, to get the opportunity to see what he can do. You know, he was he's the projected number one pick uh, so far, obviously being the number one recruit coming out of high school. That's usually how it goes. Um, he's going to have some competition for it, and especially if he's ru- he's ruled ineligible and he's not playing basketball for the rest of the year. That could really hurt his draft stock because, you know, obviously teams are going to look at him as if he's out of shape and, you know what I mean, just out of basketball, game shape, and rusty, things like that, which is unfortunate because the kid can flat out play. So we we definitely have to see how this ineligibility situation pans out but what are your what are your thoughts on this situation uh you know from the NCAA I'm positive you're breaking up can you repeat that uh what are your thoughts on the situation between you know Wiseman's eligibility as far as his eligibility i mean i mean i was joking about it with some people um just Let's just say, I mean, we all been to college. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is, I mean, this is actually going to be a poor example because, like you said, the kid was seven years old at the time. This was in 2008. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's it's just ludicrous to me just to penalize this kid. I mean, Penny Hardaway obviously seen some talent in this kid, mm-hmm. but how did you know he was going to be this kind of player at this level? Um, so I just think it's ridiculous that they they would actually ban him because of it. I mean, I understand um, if this would have happened in college, then I would be like, okay, I mean, we know. But the position that the family was in, I mean, they're looking to take any help that they can get. And at that time, 
how did they know that the NCAA, um, NCAA rules would affect how would they know that at the time? So it's going to be interesting on how it plays out. Um, if they will allow him to play at all this season, I hope they do. Um, just, just like I said before, because I want to see this kid blossom and see if um, he can develop some range. But, um, yeah, I mean, that's pretty much what I think about it right now. I just think it's ridiculous just because of the timing of it. And then right now, it's, it just seems like they're just pushing it a little too far. Yeah. I mean, it's to me, it's completely ridiculous. I it I can't even wrap my brain around it. Um, you know, the the kid was was seven years old, and and there's there's multiple things wrong with this ruling. Okay, so one, the kid was seven years old. No one first, and that's right around the age he's probably if he started as young as he possibly could, he's probably only had a basketball in his hand for two years. Right at max at that point, if he if he even was playing at all, so there's no way in the world Penny Hardaway was helping this family move, and truly thought that this kid was going to blossom to a seven foot number one player in the country. There's just no way. You know what I mean? He he clearly was just trying to help a family move into, you know, Memphis, a place that he calls home. That's that's the one issue. Absolutely no one knows that a kid is going to grow up to be a stud. Number two is at the time in 2007 or 2008, Penny Hardaway was nowhere near becoming the Memphis head basketball coach. So, and obviously at that time, he, yes, he's considered a booster, but clearly this move had nothing to do with basketball. He's a kid. Obviously, you know what I mean, and and Penny Hardaway wasn't even thinking of being that. Like I said, was being the head basketball coach. Calipari was still in Memphis at the time. Uh, I believe Derrick Rose went to the uh, went to the national championship that that same year it was two thousand eight, right before Calipari left for Kentucky. So you know, at that time, nobody was thinking about grooming this kid to play Memphis basketball. Eleven years later, like. Even if even if the kid was six foot at seven years old, you you know what I mean? Like you're not you don't know that he's gonna grow you know, he's gonna continue to grow and be anything as far as a, a talent when it comes to the game. Because you can, no one can project that far out. So to me, the NCAA considering him a booster, helping a potential recruit is absolute BS to me. It's the it's and honestly I'm fed up with the NCAA as an organization to the point where I, I truly want them gone. There's constant injustices happening when it comes to their ruling on inel- on eligibility. Um, the, and the kid is the only one who gets punished. Penny Hardaway isn't going to get punished out of this, and rightfully so. He didn't do anything wrong. But when you look at it in the grand scheme of things, the only person who gets hurt here is James Wiseman, who was a seven-year-old freaking kid when it happened. Like it's it's just it's frustrating. Uh, we're you're you're taking one of the most box office and talented players out of the sport because of an issue that happened eleven years ago. And you know if if Penny Hardaway can't help families move into Memphis, then and without worrying about if it's going to hurt him a decade later, is just beyond me. And uh, the kid Chase Young, who is from Ohio State, I believe, in football, got uh, hit, ruled ineligible as well because a family member 
loaned him money for, I, I think, like his girlfriend or someone to come out and watch one of the biggest games of his life. Alone, he paid back. He didn't even keep the money. Like, come on, people. Like, I don't, I just, you know what I mean? Like, it's just like common sense kind of things where it's like, does this, did this kid do something dirty? Neither of those situations can you look at it and say, you know, this, okay, well, this is foul play. Like, they're, they're illegally recruiting and paying players. Who, by the way, Sean Miller at Arizona is on tape uh, giving, you know, they have his voice on tape agreeing to pay players to come play for Arizona. And, and absolutely nothing happened to him. And it's it's just ridiculous at this point. The NCAA needs to be disbanded uh, and, and a they need to find some other system. High-level recruits should, at this point, take the LaMelo Ball and R.J. Hampton route, go play in Australia, you know, go, you know, play overseas for a year and then come back, you know, make your money where you don't have to worry about this crap and having to sit out a year because when you were a kid, someone helped you move. Just ridiculous and, and honestly makes me sick to my stomach just talking about it. So... Let's move on uh, and get into some NBA talk. Those were some of the highlights for college basketball. We'll be talking about that more in future shows. But let's move on to the NBA. And we're going to start with the most popular team in the league, the Lakers, winning seven straight games uh, since their loss to the Clippers on opening night. Uh, they have come together. LeBron James has picked it up. He had three straight double, du uh, triple doubles. I'm sorry, LeBron fans. Uh, three straight triple doubles <laughs> throughout last week. Um, and the Lakers looking impressive so far. What are your thoughts on the Lakers' hot start? Now, uh, one thing that I'll just start off with saying is just I remember – um, you asked me, is, uh, do we consider uh, Hawaii as the best player? Mm. Until this man retires, he is the number one pound for pound best player in the league right who's, now. Who's that man, by the way? LeBron James. Oh, okay. <laughs> LeBron James right now is damn near averaging a triple-double. Quieting mm -hmm. some critics on LeBron taking a backseat to Anthony Davis. My only knock on the Lakers right now is Caldwell Pope. Oh, God. <laughs> the dude airballed a layup. Yeah, that was although, although they're winning games, I see this as a problem down the road because they're going to be in some close games, some really good teams, and this guy is the one that's going to be open to make those shots. Please pay me $12 million to <laughs> airball a layup. Airball any shot, turn the ball over. Please pay me $12 million. I will happily do it for you. Because as of right now, I really feel like the Lakers should explore some other options. As far as Joe Johnson, Carmelo, trade or free agent, do something. Like, there, there's players out here that, that, that are just looking for opportunity right now. I mean... And then Caldwell Pope, and I see this kid play every night. I'm just like, what is he doing? He just looks so lost. He doesn't know where to space out on the court. And then, like I said, he, he just airballs a layup, and that actually is just ridiculous. Um, so that's pretty much my hot take on the Lakers right now. Um, they're hot. They're doing their thing. Nobody, nobody has an answer for LeBron or Anthony Davis. How can you have an answer? They're just going to fall out all season. 
Um, now, as far as um, with other teams down the road, I feel like they are still not equipped, um, or at least um, they don't have the team right now to beat a, a deep Clippers team, mm-hmm. um, or possibly even the Nuggets. Um, I, I, like, I really like the Nuggets, although they're still trying to find their mojo. Um, but right now, that is my concern. I really feel like they should shop on Caldwell Pope right now. Yeah, they definitely um, look good right now. I agree with you wholeheartedly that until LeBron James either falls off a cliff or retires, he is the best basketball player on the planet. Um, and I, at this point, I don't know how anyone could think otherwise. Uh, don't get me wrong, Kawhi Leonard is a fantastic player, and I've always said that, uh, but I thought most people say that he was the best in the game were hype beast watching the NBA playoffs last year when he had a great run. Don't get me wrong. Like he was great for the Raptors, but at, at no point in time has he ever had the impact on a team that LeBron James has had ever. And not now at 34 years old, does he have that impact? This guy's averaging 26 points, eight, about eight rebounds and 10 and a half assists per game in year 17. And everybody was like, Oh, well, you know, LeBron's going to take a backseat to Anthony Davis this year. I don't think he's done that so far. They're averaging about the same amount of points, and LeBron, you know, distributes the ball more simply than Anthony Davis does. Like, you know what I mean? He's more of the facilitator of the offense. So I think he still has the greatest impact on this Lakers team, um, even though Anthony Davis might be scoring half a point more than him per game right now. Um, He's, yeah, he's, he's the best player on the planet. I can maybe if KD was healthy, uh, seeing what he was doing with the Nets, maybe he might be the only one uh, other one in the discussion. I still think KD's better than Kawhi Leonard in my opinion. Um, so, you know, I don't think right now that's a discussion. When Kawhi Leonard stops resting, let you know he's. I think he's taken like two or three nights off already, and we're not even ten games into the season. I don't think you can be the best player in the, on the planet doing that. That's just my personal opinion. As far as the Lakers go, um, they've looked great. They're, I think they're a team who defensively, they're difficult to score on in the paint because of the length that they have as far as AD, um, JaVale McGee. They're bringing Dwight Howard off the bench, who's um, you know one of the best shot blockers in the league right now. Um, and they're getting really productive minutes out of him. So it's been, uh, I've been impressed by the Lakers. I think uh, once Kyle Kuzma gets back into the flow of things. He, he's been out for quite a while since um, before the World Cup when he got hurt. Um, and he's finally getting back. He hasn't started a game yet, but he's played in about four games. I think they're going to need him to develop into the third scorer on this team in order for them to uh, really have any chance at beating the Clippers in the playoffs, though, uh, simply because the, the Clippers have more depth. So, like, when you look at the Lakers right now, they have, you know, LeBron and AD averaging 26 a game. And then the next guy is Avery Bradley averaging 10. So, that's a concern. You need a third guy that's going to give you somewhere in the 15 to 18 range for you to win in the playoffs. And that's probably what they're hoping Kuzma will develop into eventually. But so far, so good for the Lakers. Not a lot of complaints in L.A. for them. Now, we got to move on and talk about my Sixers, who were the last undefeated team in the league as of the last time we did a podcast. Three games later, three straight losses, and Ben Simmons now dealing with a shoulder injury. Um, 
James bringing up the Nuggets in the last segment still kind of hurts as Jokic hit a ridiculous game-winning shot against them just last night. So what's wrong with the Sixers right now? You know, do you think they'll get back on track eventually? What are your thoughts? Uh, one thing that I will mention is that with the 76ers, um, I really feel like they're also a deep team and they have some fight in them. So I'm not going to hit the panic button. Uh, I'm not going to hit the panic button. Uh, they lost some. They lost to some quality teams. I mean, it happens. You lose on. You lose on some nights. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also played a few without Embiid. Yeah. Uh, this gives the 76ers a chance to play uh, with their lineups and see what they can do. See if how they can match up on certain teams. Um, so I feel like um, it's going to be good chemistry wise. Um, and then down the road, we're going to see if um, they get a chance to play those teams again. Uh, what we're going to be looking at, um, especially when it comes to playoff time. Uh, they, they also kept the games close uh, with one or two possessions um, in each loss. Um, so um, I have a message for all of my Philly fans. Dear Philly fans, just breathe. It's going to be okay. Uh, it's a long season. Yeah, and, you know, I'm, I'm not panicking on the Sixers at all. They had a tough week. Um, they in, in three of those losses, Embiid was out against the Suns. Uh, then they played against a tough Jazz team who, with Embiid coming off of a two-game suspension, had to face Rudy Gobert. That's never easy, and that's actually the game that Ben Simmons got hurt in. He only played 10 minutes. They ended up losing by two, and then three to the Nuggets last night, another game that Ben Simmons missed. So I'm not too concerned uh, because out of the three games, either Ben Simmons or Embiid were missing, and they were still close losses. What I am concerned about is the Sixers are constantly in close games. Like from the beginning of the year, they've only won one game uh, by or two games by double figures so far. Uh, opening night against the Celtics, which was back and forth until they pulled away late, and then and ended up winning by 14. And then they blew out the Timberwolves the night that Embiid uh, and Cat got into uh, their snuggle party. So, uh, you know, that's uh, that's pretty grueling so far. Like, they've had to play some tough teams. Like, if you look at their schedule, they've played the Celtics, uh, a playoff team last year, probably a playoff team this year. We'll get into them later. Uh, the Pistons, a playoff team last year. We'll see how it goes this year. The Hawks, a team that's up on the you know, on the rise, could possibly be a playoff team. The T-Wolves, off to a good start, might make the playoffs in the West. Blazers, playoff team last year, even though they're struggling. Suns, looking good this year. Jazz, obviously a playoff team last year, could be again this year. And the Nuggets, one of the best team in the West. So they've had a grueling schedule to start so far. Um, So, you know, them dropping the last three games isn't a big concern for me, given, you know, two of their best players we're missing for those three of those for those three games. Hopefully things get easier for them. They've got the Hornets, the Cavs, uh, the Magic coming up uh, in their next three games, and then the Thunder and Cavs again. So really in their next five or six games here, they've got a much easier schedule where they should be able to get and beat some rest uh, and pick up you know quite a few wins uh, along. So definitely not panic on the Sixers. I'm hoping though that the Ben Simmons injury. Uh, is not anything serious or anything that's going to keep him out for too long. Now, we got to get on to the Celtics, who I mentioned earlier. 
who are off to a crazy hot start so far. Uh, something that I think me and James both can admit we're a little bit surprised by, seeing given how uh, some of the core guys from this team underachieved in the World Cup. That has not impacted them at all to start the year as they've come out starting six and one. Uh, actually, seven and one after their twenty-point win against the Spurs tonight, uh, and they've been great so far. But tonight's win against the Spurs came uh, with a pretty big loss as Gordon Hayward fractured his left hand, um, which uh, is 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 heartbreaking uh, for one. Um, you know, given the the injury history of this guy over the last two years. So, James, talk a little bit about Gordon Hayward, his most recent injury, um, and then we can get into the Celtics a little bit as a team. What are your thoughts on the Gordon Hayward injury? Um, just first, I would just like to uh, send some prayers out to Hayward and his family. I mean, nobody wants to see that. So, okay. I mean, I wish him a healthy um, recovery. Um, like you said, he suffered a broken hand. Um, so, I think we're anticipating... Uh, possibly a month or two, um, maybe even three. Um, and then hopefully he could just seek um, a professional opinion just to see if he'll need surgery. And I believe that's uh, what he's doing right now, um, just to see if he can let it heal naturally. Um, I mean, that is a big loss for the Celtics. Uh, I mean, just like I mentioned in the beginning of the season, um, hopefully um, we would see a Gordon Hayward back when he played for the Utah Jazz. Mm -hmm. And now, um, it's just gut-wrenching that we had to see this man sit out bulk of the season again. Um, so, once again, just prayers out to him and hope that he heals up and get to see him play some basketball. Um, now, as of right now, the Celtics as a team, um, yeah, just like you said, they are really surprising me right now. Just based on how I saw them play overseas, it was just a little disgusting. Just the fact that these guys played together before, um, minus Pemba. Um, but it just seemed like they just didn't have any chemistry. They just didn't have it. Um, now, it just seems like the whole team is just playing well together. I mean, not one player is just, I mean, besides Kemba, not, I mean, the supporting cast is not going off with 20-plus, 25-plus. Um, everyone is putting in the minutes. Everyone is putting in work um, to lead to um, their team W's. They're playing good team ball right now. And recently, the Celtics just dismantled a well-coached Spurs team. Yeah. Um, so that says a lot, um, pretty much, where they're headed throughout the season. Um, I mean, I will hold off on the hype for right now, mm -hmm. uh, but I will change my projection, uh, which will have the Celtics in the middle of the pack when it comes to their seeding in the postseason. Yeah, it, it's definitely a, a bad loss for them losing Gordon Hayward. Um, you know, so, you know, obviously he had the horrific injury opening night uh, two years ago. And, you know, I think most people last year after him, you know, sitting out that entire season expected him to struggle a little bit. And, you know, we didn't know how long it would take for him to shake off the rust, but it ended up being the entire season. And there were a lot of factors into that. Kyrie being there, you know, two other young forwards like Tatum and Jalen Brown uh, who play a similar position as him. And the Celtics really trying to figure out how, you know, that 
dynamic between the three was going to work with him coming back into the fold. Um, so there was a lot of moving parts for him last year uh, that he struggled to deal with. And then this year, you know, Kyrie's gone um, and he's back in the starting lineup and was flourishing, man. He was averaging 20 points, uh, 7.9 rebounds, which was leading the team, mind you. Uh, 7.9 rebounds a game and five assists. He was leading the team uh, or second on the team in assists going into tonight's game um, by slightly behind Marcus Smart. So he was doing a little bit of everything for them. Uh, third leading scorer, leading rebounder, second in assist. You know, he was kind of their do-it-all guy so far throughout the first seven games. And then tonight, you know, suffered that injury, which is certainly going to keep him out, uh, you know, for a, a few months maybe, um, depending on the severity of it. So, you know, hoping for a speedy recovery for him. Um, as far as the Celtics as a team goes, They've, they've looked great up until this point. 7-1 and one to start the year. Only loss was on opening night to the Sixers, so they've won seven straight since then. Um, Kemba Walker has been decent, I would say. Um, you know, not lighting the world on fire. They're getting 20, about 22 a game from Jason Tatum, who we talked about needed to take a step forward and be around that range. They certainly needed, you know, the production they were getting out of Gordon Hayward to start the year. I think that could be a big loss for them because now where's your, you know, third scoring coming from? They, they're getting about 16 a game from Jalen Brown right now, which is very good, especially for him. But now that they're going to require more touches out of him, will he still be able to, you know, give that kind of production um, that efficiently? So that's going to be interesting to see who steps up. Uh, in Gordon Hayward's absence um, for them so far. I'd like to see Kemba Walker be more efficient and get those assist numbers up only for a game. Uh, and, and they play a motion offense. So, you know, he's he's not a guy in their system who's going to average seven or eight assists. That really wasn't his, um, really wasn't his MO even before he got to Boston. And with the way that they move the ball now, that probably won't. But he probably should at least be in the five to six range, I would say, for how much he's going to have the ball in his hands. So we'll see, you know, if, if he can pick it up a little bit. Jason Tatum's going to have to pick up some of the slack and see him with Jalen Brown with Gordon Hayward gone. Uh, and they're certainly going to be hoping to get him back as soon as possible. Uh, now, we talked about the Celtics hot start. Let's go over to the other side and talk about a team that is struggling out of the gates, which is the Portland Trailblazers. Three and six to start the year, and it did not get any better. Uh, you know, last night, Damian Lillard dropped 60 points, and they still couldn't come up with the win uh, against the Nets of all teams in a 119-115 loss. What's the problem with the Blazers right now? Um, I mean, as as advertised, we know that we're going to get points from Dame and CJ. And actually, last night, CJ did not play well at all with mm. eight points. Yeah. Uh, but besides one game, we know that they'll get buckets regardless. Besides Whiteside and as a supporting cast, uh, they honestly just need to step it up. Uh, we know that they're just going to try to outscore their opponents. They don't plan on playing any defense. Uh, I mean, they even let um, Dinwiddie get 34 points last night uh, for the Nets. Um, so that's, I mean, I understand he's a decent player, but that's not a player you should be giving up 34 points to. Right. That's just a sign of just poor defense or just lack of effort. 
Um, and then right now, it just seems like they just want to put on a show on offense, um, give um, the fans high-scoring games, but they're just not playing any defense. They're, I mean, they're getting out-rebounded. Uh, just the effort is just not there from what I see. Um, even the turnovers are not really high. They're just taking poor shots. They're just shooting as many threes as they can. Uh, I mean, they shot the best that they could from free throw um, at 96%, taking 90, um, making 24 shots out of 25. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, once again, this is you can't even just pinpoint on the stats. This just comes up to defense and effort at the end of the day. They just have to play better defense. Agreed. They've been pretty bad defensively, um, and they weren't a they weren't ever really a lockdown defensive team. Um, and, and I think a lot of people thought Whiteside would, you know, with his rim protection, would help that a little bit. Um, but from the perimeter, they don't really have anyone that they can look to as um, a defensive stopper. Um, you know, on that end of the floor, Damon CJ are, you know, statistically two of two of the worst guards defensively. Um, when you look at the advanced, you know, stats and in those kind of categories, so. That certainly doesn't help them. Rodney Hood is an average at best defender, you know, no liability, but not a stopper. So they're, you know, they're kind of relying on Whiteside to protect the paint a lot. And I think that's um, a lot to ask from him, you know, solely, you know, he's averaging about two blocks a game, which is pretty good, but you're going to need a little bit, uh, you know, more effort on the perimeter from, you know, the, the Blazers defensively. Offensively, Dame... Uh, has been great 33 points a game seven assists five rebounds um, and he's doing it efficiently he's shooting 49 and a half percent from the field 30 40 percent from the three so you can't point at cj i mean you can't point at dame you can point at cj mccullough uh, he is struggling right now only shooting 38 percent from the field 33 percent from three uh, only at about 19 points per game, which is below a little bit below his standard. Uh, you know, he hasn't been efficient at all. His player efficiency rating is a 10.3, which of the rest of the players on their team, to give you some context, that have played in all nine games, only Kent Bazemore has a lower uh, player efficiency rating of, of players who have played in every game. So, you know, certainly struggling, and I'm I'm assuming he will get himself out of the slump, and they will need him to if they plan on making a playoff push. Uh, they have to do it soon, too, because you don't, in the in the way the West is right now, with teams like the Suns, um, you know, coming up, and the T-Wolves being better this year, there's a lot of teams in the West that are going to be pushing for one of those lower playoff spots, and the Blazers cannot afford uh, the slow start that they've gotten themselves to. So let's close off the show with a couple of game previews and predictions uh, just to give you guys some uh, background so far in NBA picks. I am 5-4. and four. James is sitting at 2-4 and four so far. Uh, we're going to keep the NBA predictions and the college predictions separate. We are both 0-2 in that regard. Uh, and first game we're going to do our prediction for is the Raptors and Clippers uh, coming up on... Uh, Monday night, I believe. Yeah, Monday night on NBA TV. Uh, the game is out in L.A. at the Staples Center. Looking like Kawhi, La- uh, I'm sorry, Kyle Lowry might miss this one uh, in their reunion to go play against Kawhi. 
it looks like Kyle Lowry is going to be out. Who are you taking in this one? Now, before I pick, um, I also would like to mention that it is a possibility that Paul George might play in this game. Um, so, considering that, I will go with the Clippers. Um, they're, I feel like they're the deeper team. Um, and I'm just going to go with the Clippers on this one. Um, do you want me to pick the next one, too? Uh, we'll get to that one. I'm also going to take the Clippers in this one, even if Kawhi rests again and tries to ruin our prediction record. Uh, especially if they get Paul George back, I think that will help regardless of whether Kawhi plays or not. Um, so we'll see how that goes. But with Kyle Lowry out, uh, I think that pretty much kind of seals it for the Clippers. They already were the better team on paper, in my opinion. And now they'll have, you know, a little bit more depth than the Raptors will. So I'm also going to take the Clippers in that one. Uh, the next one we have is the Mavericks and Celtics, uh, who, as we know now, uh, they'll be playing without Gordon Hayward. That game also Monday night on NBA TV at 730. Who are you taking in that one? Um, in this one, I will take the Mavericks. I just believe that they won't have an answer for Kristaps or Donichich. I am going to go with you as well. I'm taking the Mavericks. I think the Gordon Hayward loss is going to weigh heavy on this team. And uh, I think they've been a little too hot to start. Uh, and I think the Mavericks uh, give them their second loss of the season. So I agree with you. We'll see. Yeah, I think, I think their luck runs out on this one. Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna go with uh, the Euro duo Doncic and Porzingis as well. All right, well that's all that we had for the show today. Again, we want to thank you guys for tuning in to another episode of the Rebound. Uh, you know, so far uh, I think this is episode eight. Uh, we appreciate you guys tuning in for so long. We are now available on Apple Podcast, uh, so make sure you guys go in and tune it and make sure you guys subscribe uh, also make sure you download the podcast as well uh, you can even leave a rating on apple Podcasts for us uh, as well which will you know help us in so many ways so we appreciate you guys tuning in uh, we're on apple spotify google podcast uh, anchor as well so make sure you guys tune in make sure you guys follow us on twitter as well at the rebound pod uh, where you can interact with us submit topics that you want to hear us talk about on the show um, and you know who knows we may even have you come on the show to talk about said topic um, so and also make sure you follow the two hosts me uh, at el1 underscore coop and james you want to go ahead and give them your twitter handle Yep, so go follow us. We'll be interacting with you guys throughout the week uh, to get a gauge on what you guys want to talk about and get your sports opinions as well. So thank you guys again for tuning in to another episode of The Rebound. Y'all be cool. Y'all be cool. All right. Water. <laughs>